The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about all the crazy shift going on in the world of work, HR, recruitment, and business. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our sponsors, JobVite and Success Performance Solutions. Our guest today will be John Dame uh, from Dame Management Strategies. Uh, for about 15 years, uh, John and I have been friends colleague, mentor, coach. Uh, he's been uh, a client of mine. Um, really excited to finally get him on the air today. John's got uh, a, his own event coming up in a few weeks, um, and he talks a lot about leadership on purpose uh, and does a, and also has a, a program for new leaders and a new project. So we want to talk, we're going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, and it's pretty timely, Keith, because We've got uh, Workforce 2030 coming up in just two days. And I've got my Sherm presentation tomorrow night down at the Greater Valley Forge That's Sherm, right. uh, dinner event. We are yeah. rocking and rolling, Ira. And we've got, and uh, Thursday, I'm up in State College, so I've got the PA Sherm. Uh, talking about uh, recruiting in the age of Googleization again. So it's a busy week. And, and last week we had uh, Pandit uh, Dasa uh, on mindfulness. So today's topic uh, really falls in, in line with that uh, really well. Uh, um, get leadership on purpose. And I and immediately when we were talking all last week, and, and I've already made the introduction to John um, about Pandit for one of his uh, future conferences, because I, I think that's uh, that, that, that'll, that'll be a great fit. Oh, absolutely. And and again, it's one of those things where, you know, I know John's going to be putting providing a lot of color for us today, but you you take a look at from our perspective and you see so many different elements uh, moving around in the HR technology world and HR in general. And it really seems to be a convergence of uh, that message of the changing of the guard in terms of the kind of leadership companies need. And I, I, again, I'm 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 always ecstatic whenever I get on to do the podcast. But John's going to have so much insight from his absolutely successful career. How did well, you guys meet? Um, I signed. John is a Vistage coach. If you're familiar with the Vistage yep. organization, sure, sure. and uh, John was a co-chair. There were there's a um, a group for consultants. Um, trust they call it my trusted advisors. And there was a group when I was living in Lancaster, and John was one of the, the co-chairs of a group that started. And so we got to meet every week, got to know John, you know, really well. And I think I'd have to go back. I, I'm not sure if it was 2003, 2002, somewhere along there. Much, much longer. Time passes pretty quickly. Uh, but I got to know that that was the first time I, I knew John before, because uh, as he'll probably share a little bit on his journey, uh, his family had uh, Dame Media 
uh, and who eventually sold out to Clear Channel. Uh, but they had a, a number of uh, really popular radio stations in central Pennsylvania. So I, I knew the name. I didn't know John. But uh, we've become, uh, as I said, a uh, lot of titles I can bestow on John from uh, coach and mentor and client and friend and colleague. And, nice. Um, so, nice. yeah, so it's, it's, been, it's been good. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, I had a couple uh, offline conversations with Pandit last week, uh, Pandit Dasa, after mm -hmm. Mindful Leadership. And it's it's funny, I said, when I looked at uh, the schedule for Workforce 30, 2030 uh, coming up uh, Wednesday, we're, we're pre-recording this, so normally we're on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, but as this as this hits the air, we'll, we'll act, I'll actually be speaking <laughs> on Wednesday and uh, you'll be attending. Uh, as we do yeah, that, um, but I, I said it's sort of the it, it's sort of like the yin and the yang um, because he's right he presents right for me so he he's presenting about mindfulness and then I come in and throw the boulder into the pond <laughs> you know talking about the future of work and and the future shock and how rapidly things are changing and how ill prepared most of us are to kind of deal with that. So that'll be fun. And then uh, also there, uh, Val Grubb's talking about uh, workforce. Well, we'll be talking about uh, Workforce 2030. Uh, and uh, Rob Croner is talking about uh, uh, leadership in a multi-generational multi workforce. And so Rob and I, are, are, are basically we'll be talking about a little bit of that today with uh, John as well, especially with his uh, new leaders uh, project. Yeah. And it sounds to me, I think, John, uh, I was doing some research over the weekend and John's event that's coming up at the middle, early middle part of October in the yeah. central center part of the state. I think he's got like 600 plus people going. I'm curious to find out what this workforce 2030 looks like. Well, that's probably a good uh, it, it's probably a good time to good segue to bring John on. So yeah, without made... further delay. Hey, John, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Hey, terrific, Ira. Thanks. Looking forward to talking with you guys. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Keith just uh, kind of did the intro for evolution. Maybe we're starting at the uh, the the end of the evolution. Uh, but talk about uh, you got an event coming up. I think it's October 8th, um, right? Correct. The Evolution Leadership Conference started five years ago, and this iteration will be the fifth year It'll be the largest ever. It's going to be at Spooky Nook, which is a large sports complex that has significant meeting halls, a hotel just outside of Lancaster. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah, you talk about an entrepreneurial venture. Um, it that's, is that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's an unbelievable event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, this year we have, you know, currently – uh, several weeks before the event, over 600 people that have signed up thus far that amazing. are going to attend. So congratulations! That's just amazing. That, pretty, that takes a lot. Pretty to get big event. People out of, That's out of awesome. Event. Yeah. Yeah. So it it started uh, at the Hilton in Harrisburg uh, five years ago, and it was a two day event. And over that time period, we've had any number of different ways to stretch leadership. I started, this is all about leaders evolving, thus the name evolution. And we started as an event that was a two or three day event, went to twice a year or three times a year, and now do one big event per year because the same number of people were, were coming 
or less. It's hard to get people out several times a year. And I just found that uh, uh, the concept was better to kind of put all the effort into one significant event versus multiple times throughout the year. So mm-hmm. we've now had to find a place big enough to have the event. And it's it's gone. We've had uh, mindfulness experts. We had the folks from Google do Search Inside Yourself, uh, which is their internal leadership program. We've had Apple's chief global instructor talked to us about uh, leadership through Create, Lead, and Achieve. So we've had, over the years, several very significant players come and work on the concept of looking at leadership, the changes that have to occur, because you know South Central Pennsylvania has a tendency to be uh, a command and control environment, which is not going to work in the future the same way it has in the past. So that's probably a good starting point. Um, you, you've been in the business uh, a while. I mean, you, you basically mm-hmm. managed a kind of a media, uh, mm-hmm. some radio stations. Um, what kind of, what, I guess, what have you seen um, most significantly change? And even though we're, you know, they always talk about central Pennsylvania, you know, if you go back to a James, James Carvel, uh, uh, description of, of the media with, you know, Pennsylvania's three states. We got Philadelphia, Pitts, we got Philadelphia, Ohio, and Alabama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and not that, Al- you know, not, not that Al- Alabama's backwards, but pretty traditional, uh, a lot more rural, sort of that mid America, uh, you know, uh, mentality. Like the HR. Yeah. Culture. Like the HR of the states. Yeah. Um, yeah. Con- more, much more conservative, um, so you've, you know, you're seeing uh, a change. You're seeing an evolution. Um, and again, working with a lot of entrepreneurial companies, you're seeing that. So, you know, where has it been? Where where do you see it now? And what are some of the biggest challenges you see going forward for the group? That's why you have the conference. Right. Well, you know, uh, in terms of what I saw, if you look at Leadership 1.0, which went for a long time and still continues to operate in many areas and whether it's you know south central pennsylvania or whether it's around the united states and that's kind of that command and control environment that many of us grew up with you had a boss that boss was very directive uh the culture was dictated by that individual and you know there were more people that wanted to come to work at any company than there were positions so that you had a pretty effective workforce that you could find new people if you needed to. You know, it it has been radically changing over the past couple of years. We went to, in many instances, what I would call 2.0, which is basically that charismatic leader that has a real big vision. You know, that's kind of been the recent trend you know, over the past couple of years where you have this charismatic person running a company, you have a great big vision for the company and you attract people through improved culture, but there still is a lot of uh, consequences and rewards in that culture. Uh, quite a bit different than what I think we're going to evolve into, which is going to be a much more, you know, collaborator in chief running a company that, shares not only a vision, but also a purpose, focusing on something that's different than just making money. Certainly an organization needs to make money and it needs to have a robust financial picture. 
to allow it to pay people well, to allow it to kind of pay back in the community. But uh, interestingly enough, I think people are looking for uh, even even doesn't matter what the age is. I don't think it's millennials or I, I think it's almost everybody wants to have an environment where there is a much more collaborative and they want to come to work, you know, and and make a difference if they can. And that is aligning with a greater purpose that uh, a leader might bring their own purpose, align that with the organizations, and then make a bigger difference in every day. So how, so how are you seeing uh, individuals, how are you seeing some of these uh, uh, in, uh, leaders uh, of some of the organizations, and again, you work with primarily small, medium-sized businesses, I believe, uh, right, although I know you, 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 yeah. yeah. So, they're, they're where, you know, the size companies here are going to be primarily, let's say, 10 million top line to 200 million, which doesn't sound small, but it's still a medium-sized company. 50 to 500 or so employees is going to be, and closely held, is the sweet spot for the kind of companies that I might work with. So, you know, they're, you know, what I see in the leaders is this kind of looking at individuals differently. I mean, if you look at the study that Gallup did two years ago and come back with the terms that employees were looking at when they wanted to describe great leaders. And these are not the terms that leaders use. These are what employees use. They basically said, we want somebody that we can trust, you know, that has our backs. Uh, we want somebody that has compassion, you know, because we all are facing an ever increasingly time crunching world where, if I have a kid that's sick, if I have something that's up, I want a leader that gets it. And, you know, we're not going to stand on concepts where I can't go see my kid play soccer or make an, make an evening event for something that my family's doing or whatever that might happen to be. Uh, so it's, it's trust, compassion. The other thing people want is stability. You know, in a world that feels kind of increase, increasingly unstable, you know, whether it's our government or uh, just things going on, people would like a steady hand on the tiller at the company. You don't want to come in and have a new day dawning every day. And, and, and the fourth thing is people want to come to work and feel there's hope, like it's going to be better tomorrow than it is today. And so when you look at those kind of things, leaders that are, are looking at human beings that in other words, I think that if, if we have a purposeful leader, they will look at those people that work for them and with them in a different way. And that means that every single human is important. You want to help them grow and develop. You understand that they have needs and you want to help them meet those needs and help them grow and learn, which you expect that people want to do. And I think you'll find different organizations versus just you know, command and control, which is you come to work. And uh, the, the difference also today that leaders have to face up to is that unlike when I grew up, there are less people applying for jobs than there are actual jobs. And so people can make a choice. If they don't like your company, they can choose to check out and find a job fairly easily someplace else. So, you know, I think these are all things that impact leaders today, and they have to look at the way they show up as leaders, and it makes a huge difference when you treat and look at people differently. I, I would liken it to this, that many times in manufacturing entities, I've had people that I work with that when we start, 
working together. They treat their machines better than they treat the people that work there. And certainly that's not very helpful for retaining and developing talent. John, I love everything you just said. Uh, my my own personal story, we didn't get to it at the beginning of the conversation this morning, but you know, I've spent a career selling uh, HR tech, finance tech with Concur for a couple of years. But prior to that, I was in forklift business, selling forklifts and, and warehouse systems. And and uh, your manufacturing comment just got me a little stirred up because there is so much more money to be made with the right piece of equipment than with, let's just say, for lack of better terms, hourly employees that wind up being more trouble than they're worth. But yet here we are in 2019 on the verge of 2020, and employees are now skyrocketing in their value to an organization. You talk about the 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 evolution of leadership 1.0 to leadership 3.0. Where are these leaders starting? You know, what's the aha moment or the aha thought that's got these 3.0 leaders you know breaking out of their the mold? Well, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, it's like an acquired taste. Sometimes people don't like scotch too much, you know, until they acquire a little taste for it and I think that uh, somebody has to be feeling they reach a certain point in their development as a leader where they say, you know, there's more to this than just making money. Because, you know, I, I think that people want to make money and I don't mean to degrade that at all. That's not it. But I do think that there's, you know, the question is when's enough enough? And then people look at themselves and they say, there has to be something more than this. I feel like I'm missing what my true purpose is here. And that's when they begin to kind of dig underneath kind of become more self-aware. And when that happens, you know, it can be at any point in the career. Uh, somebody could be a young person and looking to make this part of what they do every day. Somebody can be a little bit older and saying, you know, I need to find greater meaning. Uh, I have not found uh, so very wealthy owners of companies can be comfortable. It does not guarantee that they're happy and fulfilled or that they run the best companies that I've ever seen. And so, uh, you know, my, my sense is that there are a lot of different ways to skin the cat. Uh, this, my purpose-focused way, is a way that I think is sustainable into the future and allows not only the employer who kind of gets focused on what their real, gets absolutely clear on what their purpose is, and then tries to align the organization with that. And then you, you attract people to your company. So I think it's a point in time where somebody looks at themselves and says, you know, there's more to this. Even though I have a pretty good company, I feel like there's more that I could be doing, uh, whether it's in the community, whether it's with their family, whether it's with their employees. And I just think people get to a point and they say, you know, let's, let's kind of take a look at this. And, you know, the truth is that if, if we look at what, you know, Gallup's research is on, you know, engagement, which we all know is fairly low, and it's been fairly low for 40 years. Part of it is because, you know, just saying we're going to have a great culture is not enough. You know, we're human beings are people that want to have a friend at work. They want to go to a place where they feel safe and secure. And, you know, that all evolves around a culture which is a little bit different than just having, you know, kind of a, 
how many days off you get and stuff like that, which are benefits. And certainly you want to have those. But I think that really connectivity that with human beings is something that that relationship that they enjoy in a work environment is is absolutely critical. And it starts with the owner or the CEO or the president of an organization and trickles down from there. How critical do you think it is, John? If from my uh, you know what? I don't want to lead the witness. So let me just stop there. I'm, I'm curious. How critical in 2019 is it for one of the senior level executives to catch on to this this stuff? Well, I don't think it's going to happen. For, from my perspective, I believe that it's going to be the difference maker. You know how, how we've looked at uh, whether it's technology, the disruptive parts of technology, uh, you know, in in the HR field today, for example, when I talk to leaders of organizations, I only talk about strategic HR partners, not necessarily, you know, kind of the administrative HR. That's kind of a secondary issue today and strategic HR partners take on a whole different thing. So my belief is that in some way or another, leaders have to adjust how they lead and show up if they expect to remain competitive for the longer term, period. 100%. You know, it, and uh, earlier I mentioned to Ira how I'm going to be doing the keynote at my first SHRM event. Uh, John, a couple months ago, I decided to join that movement. And um, I see the talent market, as, at least I like the idea of starting the conversation as, as often as possible. I see the talent market being a bigger disruptor than Netflix or Uber. I think that it is that big of a challenge for organizations that might be stuck in that 1.0 or maybe 2.0 version, knowing all right. well that the, the rate and of change in technology and millennials and, and everything else, right, Ira, that we talk about. I think that if you're not being, if you're not increasing from an organizational level, if you're not increasing your awareness to this, um, then you're going to lose. I think you're going to lose out because I think people that are paying attention to what it is you're talking about uh, with the HR strategy component, uh, I think they're going to see the future come quicker and they're going to hop on the right spot to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Well, it's why we have, you know, for example, if you look at the Evolution Conference coming up in October, we have two keynotes, you know, or one workshop, which is a keynote in the morning, from a young guy named Eric Termunde, and, and he is going to talk about culture using trust as the foundation in an organization and do a workshop in the morning for the leadership teams that are there, you know, all 600 of them. And then in the afternoon, we're going to have Vern Harnish come and talk about scaling up. And if you look at the simple version of Vern's model, is the top thing that anybody needs to scale an organization. The number one thing is people. Without the right people, without kind of getting them connected with everything that you're doing, because after people come strategy, then execution, then money, you know, if you don't have those four components, you're not going to be able to scale your organization. And, and so aligning behind the human capital, those human beings that come to work for an organization, is key to be able to scale anything. So, John, look, you start. We started the conversation a few minutes ago with, um, you know, what Gallup had said that employees want, and you said, you know, trust, compassion, stability, and hope. 
Um, mm-hmm. If we roll our, you know, and we, we we were around when command and control, and that was that was leadership 1.0. Um, right. It, for good or bad, you and I were around <laughs> then. Yep. He, Keith Keith was Keith sort of grew up in a in a time where that was being questioned. But if if we looked at our parents and, and maybe even us in our early age, wasn't didn't com- command and control didn't employees trust leadership and, and maybe I'm not, I'm not sure where the compassion came in, but um, you know, that, they, that they were pretty confident that we had these 40, 50 year careers. We like a, got, got the gold watch. Uh, and there was hope uh, maybe not for us, but for uh, the next generation. So, I mean, it seems if we roll the clock back 50 years, um, employees got that from command and control. So what, you know, where did it break down 40 years ago that the engagement uh, kind of fell apart? And it, it's almost like th- there's now a journey for a new leadership style that can reinstill that. But what you have any thoughts on what happened? Well, yeah, yeah there, I think there are a couple things. One is that I think that people didn't leave their jobs, Ira, because they couldn't. In other words, there were so many people waiting in line for the good jobs at that point in time that if you left your position, you were less likely to find another position easily. But, so, wasn't, there a sense, you know, we, but wasn't there a sense that the employers took care of us, they took care of the family, that there was that trust and stability? Even It wasn't that they yeah. were held captive, but wasn't there a little bit more of a... I don't know. I I think it probably could have been. I mean, it's a different era, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I also think there's a difference, you know, when we look at the impact of certain things that have occurred in the past 50 years, you know, 50 years ago or more, just go back a little further than that, uh, there were less women in the work in the workplace. So, you know, now, you know, two income families are preeminent. And and so we have women in the workplace in a way that they were not at that point in time. So that has changed kind of the workplace environment. And I'm not being negative or positive about that. I think it's a positive change. I'm just saying that ultimately all of these factors go into making what what happened at that point in time. The, the other thing that I think happened over the past 50 years has been that we have paid of the largest companies, but even smaller ones, we've paid CEOs to a lot of money to downsize. So the minute there's a bad moment, uh, an executive is charged with kind of right sizing, they call it right sizing the company. And, you know, I look at it this way. I mean, what if we had the psychological integrity to be able to look at an organization and say, before I go and whack all these people that I hired, okay, that I made the decision based on moving forward that I hired and we did everything else that we could humanly do to kind of manage through this downturn uh, and keep the good people that we wanted to have working for us there in a job no matter what. And there are examples of companies, uh, Ira, you've seen them, I've seen them, where somebody's done that, the kind of uh, loyalty that that inspires in employees and the organization is kind of palpable. And it is just an unbelievable circumstance when that occurs. And it's just a different mindset, you know. And so I, I think that people have been habituated through time to work for organizations and understand they're going to get a gold watch. 
Uh, in your book, I'm sure you've done the research, Ira. How many jobs does somebody have by the time they're like 27, 28 years old right now? Yep. It's anywhere be between what? seven and thirteen. Yeah, I was going to say seven or eight, seven or eight jobs, yeah, and seven, seven to you know, 13. many. Right. Yeah, some some large number, which is really a radical difference than what it was many yeah. years ago, and I think that uh, today people are in you know so often we say people leave because of leadership and uh or the boss that they have is not very good and yet you know when you look at training people you know which is what evolution's about getting people better at at thinking and and being differently uh when you look at the new leaders they get their first job at 26 and they get their first training many times at the time they're 42 so most of it's on-the-job training. And I really think you can help people become better leaders. In other words, I think we're all born with some degree of leadership. But some are going to be better than others. But ultimately, I think you can get better. And, and that, you know, bodes poorly for organizations because they hire people. And you have the guy who was there before you who may or may not have been any good to start out with training you. And, and uh, I think that's why people need to step outside and look to get better as leaders. So you are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We've got our guest, John Dame from Dame Management Strategies. Uh, we are talking about leadership on purpose, leadership 3.0, uh, where we are headed with a lot of emerging trends and what impact they'll have on our economy, our jobs, our future, uh, the life of uh, your company. May, your, the future of your company may be in your hands uh, with what we're talking about today. We're going to take a short break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Jobvite and Success Performance Solutions. So stay right where you are. We'll be back in two minutes. <music> Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real Yellow Pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real Yellow Pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Hi everyone, this is Ira Wolf, author of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. I'm excited to announce that my online course, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter, is open for business. This course is the culmination of a two-year-long project and releases recruiting tips I've learned after hundreds of hours of research, speaking with thousands of conference attendees, and interviews with dozens of experts. It's all available to you in Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. To receive more information or get started, visit our website at www.successperformancesolutions.com and click on the tab, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. Welcome back to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our guest, John Dame, from Dame Management Strategies. Um, before we jump back in, John, um, 
to well, not jump back in, but to kind of go to the next step. Um, when we got off, you were talking about right sizing, um, and I, I guess that's you know that's going to continue to be a struggle. What working with uh, that middle market company? What are you seeing? Um, you know, again, which is sort of my niche of looking at automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, 3D printing, you know, all the advanced technologies. Um, is, is this a conversation in their boardroom? I mean, uh, because uh, again, a lot of times right sizing, I mean, right sizing in the past has certainly had a, a bad connotation. And now there's a fear a lot uh, amongst a lot of workers and there should be fear even in the, in the, in the suite, um, the C-suite. What does, um, you know, what's the challenge? What is, uh, you know, are, are they worried about this? Are they looking toward automation? Um, you, you know, what, what's kind of the set, what, what are you seeing uh, with the, the leadership? And again, you work with a lot of younger leaders as well. So right. there, there might be a difference in generations. Yeah, there are kind of two, two things that come up in conversation. One is that, uh, you know, automation, whether it's, Automating a factory is going to be a fact of life, I think, no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, that may or may not mean a reduction in the workforce. Uh, the issue that many of the folks that I work with have is that they can't fill out their workforce today. In other words, they're having uh, a difficult time kind of getting the factory floor or their warehouse full of the right people or full of anybody and, uh, you know, so that so that they have to look for alternative ways to kind of deliver on their product or service efficiently. So I think that's something that is important. The other side that I see that's going to become even more and more critical as time goes on is uh, analytics, whether it's artificial intelligence, but being able to kind of take the massive amounts of data that we all get, turning it into usable material that allows humans to run a company better. I don't think we're going to get away from real people running companies, but I think that the number of people that we have may change. But but I also think that we're going to be required to kind of look at different ways to view the data because there's so much stuff now, I mean, that uh, that either doesn't get used or is used very poorly. And my sense is that uh, organizations that I work with are going to figure out ways to kind of uh, collate that data better and uh, find it, put, turn it into a usable format that will make a difference from a competitive standpoint for that organization. Do you get a sense that, that uh, again, and throwing out leaders, but, you know, let's say you're the clients that you work with and, and maybe the people that will be attending the conference, understand how fast things are changing, it, you know, it, it, beyond concept, because, you know, last week when we were talking with Pandit and, and preparing for my presentation, my keynote uh, at the Workforce 2030 Summit, um, you know, it's like, how do I impress upon them? Because I can show them graphs and we can talk about it. And, you know, I, I talk about future shock, you know, you, you'll recall that from 1970 yeah. with Alvin Toffler, yeah. you know, and, and it, what future shock was, was really a disease. You know, he, he talked about a disease that people will have because we're all so stressed out and disoriented from the pace of change. And, and I, I think that's reality. I mean, I, I think we, we are experiencing a bit of that. Um, but 
to frame, you know, to give it a framework, I said, we're talking about workforce 2030 and people say, oh, we got 10 years to go. But the, the real vision of that is, is what people think might be 2050 is going to happen by 2030. And what, what what's going to happen by 2030 is probably going to already have taken place by 2025. And, and I, I still think people are stuck on that linear timeline of projecting out, oh, that's 10 years away and I, I'll be out of the business or I'll be retired or we'll have time to react. Um, are, are you getting a sense that people actually appreciate how fast things are changing? No. I would say that the percentage of people that understand it might be some actually doing stuff that would be impacting their organization fewer. And, you know, the, I look at the role of the CEO, the owner of a company as somebody that's able to look around corners and kind of think ahead a little bit. And, you know, if you look at organizations, especially the smaller ones, but, you know, even some larger ones where people are habituated into the way that they do things, it's very difficult to make kind of radical changes to an organization from a technology standpoint or, you know, data standpoint that will uh, have meaningful impact just because of the kind of things are okay right now. And I don't feel like I need to change that much. And, you know, by the time you've made those changes, I mean, we can all look at those stories that are big stories nationally, you know, whether it's blockbuster video or somebody like that, that certainly had the capability of doing what Netflix did and just did not, you know, accept that change. I mean, I did, I did for a local higher education institution that has advanced degrees. We were looking at what was going to be happening in the uh, uh, education field and kind of uh, uh, people actually getting up, going to a class in the future and doing and go, going to a higher institution of learning might diminish over the next 10 or 15 years to almost zero, you know, and, and the cost of that education is going to change and uh, how people go about doing it is going to change. And so there are all sorts of areas, whether it's business or education or you know, anything that if people are not willing to kind of accept the disruption that's going to occur, and we're only seeing pieces of it. I mean, I've talked with uh, some categories of service providers, Ira, like a uh, accounting firm, where, you know, their business is going to change so radically in the next 10 years that uh, they have to think about that now because it's going to be mm -hmm. onerous if they don't, you know, period. And I think the conversation, you know, goes a lot to manufacturing and talking about hourly workers, uh, retail. And I know you work with a, a lot of clients in those areas, you know, even healthcare. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, you also work with engineering firms and accounting firms and medical groups and healthcare groups. Um, a, a lot of the automation is going to uh, is going to impact professionals. Uh, who thought they were immune to it because they had, uh, you know, eight, 10 years of, of education, you know, behind them and that that couldn't re be replaced. But, you know, a lot of the research is showing that they're they're more, uh, as vulnerable, if not more vulnerable than some of the the uh, re retail or some of the uh, hourly jobs like plumbers and mechanics, just because uh, the machines won't have that uh, flexibility and dexterity. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we, yeah. we talked. And we talked last week about, um, you know, how the reskilling of America's workforce is going to be a ridiculous process as well. Well, you know, 
that's why I think that you have to kind of be ahead of the curve a little bit because uh, in changing a the technology, let's just say, within a workforce, whether it's on the plant floor or in a uh, kind of direct-to-a-consumer company. I work with several large direct-to-consumer companies that use all technology. I have one organization that I work with that spent well over a million dollars to set up their technology for the next few years so that they could go direct-to-consumer with a laptop you know, an iPad or something and, uh, uh, push a button, make the sale goes directly into the, uh, uh, queue for delivery. And, uh, the, the service guys go out and do it instantly. And I think we're going to see more and more and more of that, which changes a whole lot of jobs around within those, those kind of entities. And, very expensive to get set up and you have to stay on top of it because the way people view these things are going to change. I mean, who would have thought that, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago that Amazon would be where it is today or other entities that have the big online presence that are fighting for your eye and ear uh, for any kind of business, whether it's a product or a service, you know, et cetera. So big changes. You know, absolutely. So let's talk about some practical tips here. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've got a, you know, we have a small, medium-sized company. The leader, is, the owner or leader uh, executive is listening to the show. What, and, and they contact you. What What's kind of your process? What do you take them through? How do you um, help them uh, on this journey uh, of, of mm-hmm. leading to, toward purpose? Yeah. So what we would do first is just meet with that executive to make sure they have some concept. They become more self-aware of what their purpose is. This is some coaching sessions, some assessments that we use just to help them, you know, a process to get them kind of connected in a deeper way with their own purpose. Uh, You know, it all sounds so fluffy, but I don't think it really is when people get kind of connected with their purpose in a, in a, we're all, it's like a relationship. I write, think of it like this, that uh, we are in relationship with individuals all the time. And to make a relationship better, we have to work at it. We have to work hard at it. And being connected to your purpose is the same type of thing. We're born with some innate knowledge that we love to do this. This is what fulfills us. This is what would make me feel better as a human being, et cetera. And you have to work at it to get there. And that's what we do a little bit. We work at it and we go through a process to help that person understand what that is. We then look at the organization and we look at the greater purpose of that organization, what their mission, vision, values are, and make sure those align with uh, uh, that purpose that the executive has. And then we go through a planning process that helps individuals kind of connect with that as well as coaching the leadership team to understand how to connect all these dots together because it is it is hard to change the mindset with respect of how we with respect to how we're working with individuals in an organization you know to look at people first as valued employees to kind of understand how to help them grow and learn to put uh, a plan a purposeful planning process in place that uh, takes an organization to the next level And, you know, a way to look at this is I have a client who's since sold his company, 
But originally, he uh, what they did was they made, uh, and Ira, you're familiar with this company, they made uh, uh, treadmills that are in pools for uh, therapy pools, you know, where people mm-hmm. could get in a treadmill and improve yep. themselves. HydroWorks is the name of the company. And, and when they originally got together, they wanted to have one of these purposeful organizations. So they developed a series of behaviors in their organization. And what the CEO decided that they would do is they wouldn't have revenue goals. What they would do is look to treat 50,000 patients a month. When they got to that level, they knew that they'd be doing well. And, and these treadmills with uh, in therapy pools are in every major sports team in the United States has a pool like this. And they got into most of those uh, college and pro and as well as uh, therapy centers and, and uh, physical conditioning, etc. People have uh, hip and knee replacements can get in these things or uh, people overweight and they uh, got to do so well that the owner eventually had an offer and that he couldn't refuse and ended up selling the company, but it was all focused on purpose, culture, and kind of looking at things through a little different lens than you might look look at it. So, you know, it's just a different way of, of looking at things. And uh, certainly it's not, it's not just a series of steps, you know, like you do these five things and you're going to be great. It, it actually is a mindset change, which is a little more difficult to get to. Man, I love that answer. I love yeah. that answer. John, I, I want you to just quickly, because we've got about five minutes left, so I, I want to make sure mm-hmm. that uh, we have time how to get in touch with you. But you also have um, the, you have the New Leaders uh, Project. And right. just touch on that a little bit. Talk, talk about that, what you're seeing, because so often we hear, you know, the millennials and the Gen Z is ruining our <laughs> economy, our lives, our society. Uh, that's obviously not what what uh, you and I see and, and Keith. No. Um, so just share a little bit about that, and uh, again, if you be as concise as you possibly can. <laughs> right. Well, th- probably three years ago, this is the third year that I've done it. I have a ten new leaders project, and every year, what I have done is had an online contest. I'm not the judge. Uh, it's focused on purpose, and people fill out an application and and write a narrative. And the judges pick 10. We've had dozens and dozens of applications every year. And these people get um, executive coaching. They get to be in an executive peer group. And then they get to come to the Evolution Leadership Conference. So we've had this will be 30 people in three years. The groups are fabulous. Uh, The people are unbelievably good. And they're going to make a huge difference in the future. They want to. They want to make a difference. They want to be great leaders, and they want to be driven. And they're all different ages, so they're not all kids. You know, uh, some of them are at a point in their career where they say, "Gee, I'd like to step it up. How do I do that?" And others are a little bit older and say, "Hey, I just need the help." But uh, not everybody's 22 or 24. You know, there are some younger ones. But so it's been uh, just a fantastic project that I've done. Going to continue to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations. And thanks for doing that. And just as you say, younger, some of these are younger people. I just want everybody to remember that the oldest millennials are now 40 to 41 years old. So right. uh, everybody out there. your company, Ira. You and well, I know this, that if you're if you're not on that bandwagon and understand that these people are going to be running your company and you better like that, uh, uh, you're not you're going to be left behind. But so many people think time st- stood still and millennials are still 22. 
No, the millennials. Yeah. We're, we're in a whole new generation, and uh, yeah. the oldest millennials are now forty to forty-one years old. John, how can uh, people get in contact with you for both the uh, Evolution Conference and also you for for coaching yep. or uh, consulting? Yeah. So, uh, Evolution Conference is evolutionconference.org. Uh, has all the speakers listed, information. This year, one of the new things that we're doing is we have an app for the event so that when you sign up for the event, uh, ticket information is available there. The day of show information is available there. And uh, you can just click on a button and order a ticket if you want to. There are still tickets left. We can probably get up to 800 if we wanted to, but I think it would make a huge difference if you wanted to attend that. If you just, if you just want to talk to me, you can go to uh, uh, JD. johndame.com uh, and look at that website. There's a link there to go to the Evolution website if you want to, or you can just look through kind of the information about uh, – me and what we do as an organization. And if you want to reach out to me, it's just JD at johndame.com. Pretty simple. Thanks, John. Um, well, we, uh, we, we talked right before the show how fast it would go and we wouldn't have any shortage of topics and absolutely true. We didn't even get into assessments and that was one of the things that we were going to talk about. Yeah. So we'll have to get you back on or uh, we'll do a LinkedIn live together uh, in a couple yeah. of weeks after your conference. And, well, you, and talk you about know that. that I'm a big advocate with that. Yeah, sure. no, I appreciate that. So again, want to thank uh, John Dame for uh, being part of the show, talking about a powerful topic. Uh, we we're talking about uh, leadership, leadership on purpose. Uh, it's got a great conference coming up, the Evolution. We're talking about the evolution of leadership. And uh, next week, uh, actually another timely topic. We're going to be talking about speed learning. Uh, with Howard Berg, uh, when John and I, and uh, maybe Keith, uh, remember, uh, we used to talk about speed reading. Now we're talking about speed learning, uh, which is uh, <laughs> quite quite appropriate in, in, in this time and, and age. Uh, any final words, Keith? Uh, no, I mean, just think about what the last four minutes of the conversation, right? We're talking about how everything is getting faster, and the one organization inside every company that has to grab this one and take the lead is probably the most lagging department inside the organizations. And, 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 and I think change is, is coming whether or not anybody wants it to, but I, I'm super excited to be a part of the, the group that's trying to help people get out there and embrace change. And uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Just look at the kind of results John's getting with Five years ago, starting a conference, and now he's tipping the scale closer yeah. to. I think he yeah. said he could get 800 if he wanted it. Yeah, that, fantastic. That's, that, yeah, that's just absolutely amazing. And of course, we want to thank everyone uh, again for listening to the show. Uh, we're always interested in hearing what's on your mind, so please keep in touch with us. You can chat with us. You can call in uh, when we're live, and you can also connect with uh, Keith and myself on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, we post the. We'll be posting the podcast uh, as an article and. Uh, if, you, if, if either of you, if anyone follows us on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, you'll you'll know that it's always out there. Uh, thanks again to Jobvite Success Performance Solutions uh, for sponsoring the show, for allowing us to make this happen, and uh, make sure you listen to our podcasts, uh, past and future, on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, you name it, we're there. Until next week and the next episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Campagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. Hey.